Caregiving is a wonderful vocation, but it's also involved with a lot of exhaustion. It's also involved with a lot of grieving, because what happens is that as the spouse or loved one starts to decline, that affects the caregiver. And it's important that they develop some type of self-care. Welcome to the Season of Caring podcast, where there's hope for living, loving, and caring with no regrets. This is Raina Nysis, your host, and I'd like to introduce you to our guest today, Dr. Edward Spink. Edward Spink is the founder of the Soul of the Caregiving Coaching Practice. He's a speaker, coach, and author of The Soul of Caregiving, A Caregiver's Guide to Healing and Transformation. Edward holds an associate degree in nursing from Newton Junior College, a BA in psychology from Boston College, an MA in counseling psychology, and an MA and PhD in depth psychology from Pacific Graduate Institute. He's a former registered nurse, healthcare executive in mission, values, spirituality, ethics, end of life, and community health. He holds a title as a board-certified chaplain with the National Association of Catholic Chaplains and is an associate coach with the International Coach Federation. He attributes his skills from his experience at the bedside as well as overcoming severe compassion fatigue and burnout. He offers hope to those suffering from compassion fatigue because he knows it is possible to move from isolation and fear to renewed hope and energy. Welcome. Thank you so much for being with us today, Dr. Ed. Thank you, Raina. It's it's a, a great pleasure to be on your program. Well, we're talking to family caregivers, so I wanted you to talk a little bit about that caregiver role and how you see that. Caregivers are often not given enough credit for the work that they do. And I think 50% of caregivers are those that work at home. They're not given the proper recognition of the work that they do. Often, spouses thrust into the role of caregiving. And what usually happens is that they find that they're going through many different roles. They may be the wife or the husband or significant other, and all of a sudden now they're the caregiver. And there's something different that happens because there's a change of roles. And and that takes a while to get used to. If we're dealing with a particular dementia of the spouse, then then oftentimes what happens is we try to relate to them as we normally did, which is okay. But what doesn't happen is we don't get the response back that we used to get. And that frustrates the caregiver because their expectation is, well, we always talked about this and we had a great conversation, but now that person doesn't understand it. And what also happens especially if they're seriously ill, they don't have the energy to tell the story. They don't have the means to communicate the way they used to. And that's what's difficult for the home caregiver is to go step by step with each stage of of the care that they get. Now, what happens is oftentimes they feel guilty when they ask for help. Mm. They think they could take care of it all by themselves. And what happens is they become overwhelmed and frustrated and even resentful. I had a a caregiver say, I I just want to kill my husband. Mm. Well, 
I mean, there's times when we feel that, you know, but the bottom line is, okay, let's talk about that. I know you don't really want to kill him, but what's really going on? Mm. And so, you know, to sort that out. I had a client whose father had Alzheimer's and she brought him home to care for him. And she was telling me how exhausted she was and how tired. And I said, do you have anyone that could help you? Could your husband help you? Or do you have siblings or or children? And she said, oh, my husband asks all the time, could he help? Mm-hmm. And I said, duh. Do you, <laughs> do you ask him to help? No. Well, see, she wanted to control everything. Mm-hmm. Instead of realizing that her husband could help her help her father. So caregiving is a wonderful vocation, a wonderful vocation, but it's also involved with a lot of exhaustion. It's also involved with a lot of, and grieving, because what happens is that as the spouse or loved one starts to decline, that affects the caregiver. Mm -hmm. And it's important that they develop some type of self-care. So what brings you joy in your coaching or the work that you do? My greatest joy is when I'm coaching with a family or a client is when they discover their own inner strength, Mm -hmm. that they discover they can deal with the particular situation like the cloud that circles them like pig pen in, in Peanuts character <laughs> is, is, is dissipated. Mm-hmm. And, and they become like Snoopy, the happy dancer. I mean, metaphorically. <laughs> so when they, when they feel that they can see the light through the tunnel, that's the greatest joy of knowing that I facilitated in some small way their rediscovery of themselves the rediscovery of them dealing with the issues that they need to deal with and finding the energy to do it. So I know one of the pieces that is often said is that caregivers feel compassion fatigue. Tell us more about what that is and and how we know if we have that. Well, Charles Figley wrote a book on compassion fatigue. And what he says is all caregivers experience compassion fatigue. It's not a mental illness. It's something we all experience. And he says we all experience it because we care. And because we care, we keep on caring and we get exhausted. Mm -hmm. It's something we love to do, but we don't take care of ourselves enough and we develop severe compassion fatigue. That's different from burnout. Burnout has to do with a situation where I'm not recognized as a person. I'm not recognized for my human qualities. I'm working with an organization and I'm like a clog in a wheel. And I keep trying and trying and trying, but I don't get the normal human satisfaction of a job well done. And so I feel like I can't break through the glass ceiling. I had an experience of severe burnout 20 or 30 years ago. And I remember talking with this wonderful coach and he saved my life. So there's another aspect of the importance of getting a coach, of getting someone that could help you. And 
I said after a month, I said, you know, where am I on the scale of one to 10? And he said, Edward, you're between eight and nine, and I consider 10 irreversible. That's how ill I became because I kept giving and giving and giving and giving. And I worked with two other people for this nonprofit organization, and they never complimented me on my input. I had to get out of that painful situation. And I then remembered Leo said a year earlier, if you ever need help, call me. And I called him. So he he saved my life. And I was able slowly, I saw him three times a week, and then twice a week, and then once a week, and then every other week, and once a month for a year and a half. And I recognized that the process took a while. Mm-hmm. And that's so countercultural because we think we're going to be zapped like St. Paul falling off his horse. You know, it doesn't happen that, that quickly. Mm-hmm. And so I realized that I really want to work with caregivers who are experiencing compassion fatigue and burnout and, and how to watch the symptoms so it can affect you emotionally. It can affect you physically, and it can affect you spiritually. Spiritually means you you lose your gas. It's like, I don't feel love anymore for my spouse. I don't feel joy in what I'm doing. I become, instead of a caregiver, I become a caretaker. Mm -hmm. And I've lost that inner strength. And so there's a spiritual issue involved in it. Emotionally, I may become emotionally unstable. I may become a a ticking time bomb. I don't know how to deal with my emotions. I become very sharp, snappy, and opinionated. I isolate myself. I don't want to relate to other people. Then physically, it could be that I have a difficulty in sleeping or eating, either under eating or overeating. It could be going to addictive behaviors that happen because I'm not recognizing my need for help. Now, in my research, I recognize that there's three cultural taboos that prevent caregivers in seeking help. It comes from our Horatio Alder myth, which means if we just keep trying harder, we can get it done. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't happen that way. I mean, I lived in Kansas for four years, and I remember if there was a fire, everyone in the community went and helped. Mm-hmm. You know, you didn't have to do it by yourself. There was that sense of collaboration. And so the first taboo has to do with, do I recognize there's something going on in me? Do I trust those interior movements in me or trust others? And what we often do is, we don't admit that we need help because we think we're invincible. We think we're like Superman or Superwoman, and we're not. The second taboo is don't talk to anyone about your experiences. Don't tell your story. We all have stories that, you know, I'm dealing with my spouse and I'm at my wit's end and I need to share that with someone. And what happens is we don't tell our story because we think we're going to be shamed or ridiculed. What do you mean you can't handle your job? You 
been married 30 years. What do you mean you're feeling you don't love that person anymore? All these things come up. And so you, you need to find someone you can trust that will listen to you. So that's another factor that caregivers don't want advice. They want someone to listen to them. Mm-hmm. When you find yourself listened to and find yourself being heard, you're able to begin the process of real healing and transformation. The third taboo we're taught is don't show any emotions. You know, stiff upper lip, big boys don't cry, and big girls are just too emotional, and they're both wrong, you know, because we do have emotion, and we do have emotion to traumatic experiences. They're normal. I mean, just think of a group of firefighters after a terrific car crash. They take care of it, they deal with it, but then they carry vicariously the impact of that situation. And so can they say to one of their peers, you know, I really sad over what happened. I feel I want to cry. I don't know what I'm feeling. We don't do that. And because we don't do that, that's what I mentioned earlier in our conversation, we become like a ticking time bomb. So we don't trust and ask for help because we think we're invisible. We don't share our story because we don't think we'll be heard. And the third is we don't show our emotions because emotions are dangerous. I had to recognize with in my own situation that I was very angry. I was angry at myself for not taking care of myself, but I was also angry at the two other directors that I felt actually abused who I was as a person. So I had to struggle with accepting anger. I came from an alcoholic family, and my father was a rageaholic. And so I learned, you know, anger is dangerous. Mm -hmm. Now, none of us grew up thinking, oh, if we ever get angry, we'll be told by our parents, oh, good, I'm glad you're angry. (laughs) Yeah. So those are the three taboos. And if we learn the opposite of each of them through coaching or reaching out for help, we're able to trust ourselves. And that's why I use the word soul of caregiving, because we get in touch with that deeper self in us. I like to think of Moses reaching out to God in the Sistine Chapel, mm-hmm. where he's reaching out and God is touching him. And in that space is where the sacred and the human meet. And I, I call that our soul. And it's the living principle within us that makes us alive and well. And so if we're able, to number one, recognize an issue, reach out to someone that we trust because we're human, and as human, we're social, and healing occurs mostly when we're with another. Mm-hmm. Healing occurs in relationship. 
whether it's with ourself that we're able to see ourselves, or if it's with another, with our creator, with creation. When we're able to be in relationship, that's what aids us in our particular healing. And uh, Dr. Eric Grundy talks about those three particular steps of recognizing we have an issue, of telling our story, and then finding ways of self-care because we're heard. So the opposite, or I guess I think of it in this way, or maybe it's a tool to use with compassion fatigue or to avoid burnout is resilience. So tell us a little bit about compassion resilience and preventative resilience. Compassion resilience means that we are able to absorb a situation, but it doesn't take us off balance. It it has to do with, I have created boundaries, and most of us do create boundaries in dealing with difficult situations. So there's a natural sense of of self-defense that's there. But don't build the wall so high or so thick that you don't experience what's happening. And so resilience has to do with that attitude of hospitality. I welcome the situation, but I have the boundaries there, and I'm able to understand what's going on without getting totally absorbed in it. So an an example is, I was at a patient conference, and this mother, whose daughter was in her 30s, had a a mass bleed in her brain. And she was in the intensive care unit, and the neurologist said, my school of thinking is to let the bleed take its course, and then we'll operate. The other school is operate right away. And that's what the mother wanted to do. So I worked with the family and with the neurosurgeon to um, get her transferred to another hospital. So she comes back about two weeks later into our rehab unit. So I go into the room. And at first, I don't recognize them. I didn't recognize them until she said, oh, do you remember me? And then I remembered her. And I said, yes, I do. And she said, Oh, it was, it was, that neurosurgeon was terrible. You know, she goes on, on and on and on. And I, like adding kerosene to a fire, say, well, I remember being there and I remember how thoughtful she was in helping you get transferred. Well, she blew up, Mm -hmm. vitriolic, and I was covered with (laughs) murder. It would be like a whole bunch of murder just thrown at me. And I don't remember leaving the room, but I remember going out of the building into the hospital section, going up to the fifth floor where I have a social worker friend. And I come out of the elevator and she says, Ed, what happened to you? You look terrible. And I said, don't say a word. I have to scrape all this murder off of me. And I actually went in with my hands like scraping because it wasn't about me. Mm-hmm. See, that's the issue. I didn't take it personally, but I had to recognize I was covered in murder, and we call it something else, but I'm being polite. And so I was able to do that 
be a witness, but also recognize it wasn't about me. It was about a mother who was grieving over her daughter's handicap now because of the bleed she had in her brain. She now was paralyzed. And so that Alec had to come out somewhere, and guess who got it? And as family caregivers, we often are the receivers from the person that we're caring for because of that frustration and pent-up feelings. And so it is important to be able to find that boundary and take on what you need to take on, but to allow the others to come off. Such an important skill and difficult to do on a day-to-day basis when we're caring for somebody who's not appreciative and not seeing what we're doing for them. You're right. And and that may bring up the situation, I can't do this. I may need other help, or I may need to recognize that this person needs to go into a care center. So there's that part of it. The other other part of it is, if that person has some type of cognitive function, The caregiver can say, honey, I know you're angry, but don't be angry at me. Mm -hmm. So the caregiver can actually separate it and say, yeah, I would be just as angry, but you can vent your anger, but don't be angry at me. Mm -hmm. It's important. And that's the ability to communicate that boundary. I can be here to support you, but that doesn't mean that I need to take the abuse if that's intentional. I agree with you. My my sister had to tell her husband that he was suffering from from a, a blood cancer and at times he would just blow up at her. And and she said, "I love you, but I'm not going to take your anger." Mm-hmm. So she she actually said, "I'm not going to take your anger. You can be angry as hell what's going on, but don't be angry with me." Mm-hmm. That's where I learned this. You know, because she was telling me this. And again, we're always learning as caregivers. You mentioned self-care and definitely being an important part of warding against that burnout and even the compassion fatigue. Can you give us a quick idea of self-care and why that's so important? Self-care is the ability to reflect and take care of yourself. Mm -hmm. And it could be... Having another caregiver, a family member come in for a half a day and taking the day off, doing whatever you want to do, spacing the time of your day that if, if the person is taking a nap, you can take an hour or two for yourself. I mean, it's very little things. Mm-hmm. And then it may be bigger things like there's a respite programs where you could bring the person there for the day. So you have the whole day free. Or if you have siblings or children, they could also come and help. Now, unfortunately, in our culture, if there's brothers and sisters, the sister always winds up being the caregiver. And so I was talking to a, a client once and I said, you know, you have to say, I'm off this weekend. She's your mother. You have to come this weekend. Once a month, you have to come. But she had to stand up to them. Mm-hmm. So many times I think 
that people just look at what you're doing and say, oh, you're doing such a good job. You don't need anything. You don't need me to come in. You don't need any help. And sometimes as caregivers, like you said, that controlling part comes in and we're not very good at receiving help. But it's so important to be willing to ask for it and be direct. You can't just assume someone's going to notice how tired you are or that it's not going well right now and offer that. Yeah, you can say, yes, I am doing a good job, but I'm exhausted. Can you help me? Exactly. Yeah. See, that's the issue. Can you help me? Help. Yeah. It's, a, it's, it's the biggest and easiest thing to say for self-care. So important. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Ed, for spending some time with us and sharing about the importance of understanding even compassion fatigue and burnout and how that is impacting us as caregivers, as well as those three steps to really go back and think about how to prevent it or help us to recover if we're finding ourselves already in that zone. Tell our audience how they can find you and get in touch with you. They can go to my website, which is soulofcaregiving.com. If they're interested in my book, The Soul of Caregiving, A Caregiver's Guide to Healing and Transformation, they could order it through my website or they can go to Amazon. It's, it's a book of reflection that helps them begin to understand and go deeper to that place, which I call soul, where they're able to make appropriate choices and decisions. One of the things I learned, and I forgot to mention this earlier, is that when I was going through burnout myself, I said to Leo, I said, well, I want to do what the Holy Spirit wants me to do. And he said, the Holy Spirit wants you to do what's the easiest thing. And so when we find ourselves overwhelmed with chores or different choices, can we say to ourselves, what's the easiest thing to do? I have used that for the last 30 years. And if I'm exhausted, I'll say, I'm going to take a nap. And then I'm going to go do X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. Or I'm going to pick the low-hanging fruit. And that helps me realize that it's not all chaotic and helps me not to be overwhelmed. So that's probably the biggest key I could leave with everyone. Do what's the easiest thing to do. Thank you. I love your definition of self-care, too, because I think... What we get hung up on is thinking that self-care are things to do when what you said, all it is, is reflecting on what you need. And that's the very first step to meeting our own need is actually knowing what that need is. And if we don't take time to reflect, we never identify it. We can go and get a massage all that we want. If that's not what we need to restore us or to give us the energy to re-engage with our loved one's needs, then it's not going to do us any good. So thank you for a wonderful opportunity to talk today. And we really appreciate having you on today. Thank you. My pleasure. This episode of A Season of Caring Podcast has been brought to you by the Encouragement Series, Hope Over Regrets. Living with hope while caring for your overall well-being and avoiding the regrets of looking back and wishing you'd done something different. This free faith-based series will be coming in November. If you would like to get on a list to hear all the updates and learn more about each of the speakers, visit www.encouragementseries.com. You'll get all the details first. That's encouragementseries.com. 
And remember, a Season of Caring podcast is created for the encouragement of family caregivers. If you have financial, legal, or medical questions, be sure to consult your local professionals. And take heart in your season of caring.